Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. Let's join in for this week's message. I got woos. At the 11 o'clock hour, they woo. I'm learning a lot about your culture. Yeah, here's another way to get them to woo. You just go, LifeGate Youth. It's like Pee Wee's word of the day. Remember that? LifeGate Youth. So if it gets dead, I'm just going to say that. If you guys die, I'm just going to say LifeGate Youth and... You'll stop eventually if I keep saying that, I promise. Here's, you know, <laughs> see, when you say no, we won't, I want to just, I want to test it. It sounds like a challenge, but I'm not, everybody would leave. This is cool, the tithe challenge. How long have you been doing that? Since beginning of church. I, when when uh, I was a pastor in Charlotte, we did the tithe challenge. I it was, I have a super cool story about it. You want to hear it? I'm going to tell you whether you want to hear it or not. Because I got the mic and I'm the preacher. Um, we were doing the tithe challenge and we had this couple who uh, was, they were both teachers. And in Charlotte, uh, you get paid during the school year. In the summer, you don't get paid. So if you save well, you're good to go. If you don't, well, good luck, right? So we had a lot of people working, wait- waitressing and uh, waiting tables in Charlotte in the summertime. And uh, I had this couple who started the tithe challenge, and they were like two and a half, three months in, and um, right about before summer, they were both teachers, I got this phone call, and they said, listen, we've been tithing, and God hasn't blessed us, we want our money back. And I was like, okay, bro, (laughs) that's between you and God, we're going to let you do that. So um, we went to the bank, we got them a cashier's check because they were in panic mode, um, I handed him the cashier's check. I th- felt like a drug deal. I handed him a cashier's check for several thousand dollars in the middle of a parking lot, at Kroger parking lot. <laughs> See, and he just drove off. I was like, that was weird. <clears throat> well, he, had been, he and his wife had been dreaming about writing this curriculum for, for school. And the very next day, um, they had dinner with a friend of theirs. And they were just talking about their struggles, and we'd love to write this curriculum, and we're not sure how we're going to make it. And... The, the man, uh, the, the husband of the family they were meeting with, got up, walked to the kitchen, walked back, and um, stroked a $45,000 check and handed it to him and said, I believe in what you're wanting to do, and I'd love to cover you this summer for you to start working on it. Here you go. He had already cashed the check that I gave him. <laughs> but that Sunday, he called me, and he said, and there was a little bit of shame. He said, I should have trusted God. I quit right before the miracle. And uh, from that point forward, he, uh, he still struggled with tithing, but he, he made it a priority um, because you learned your lesson once on that. I have to learn my lesson multiple times on some stuff like that, but, man, God is just faithful. And even when you think he's not noticing you and he's going to do it, you just wait. You just hang on because he's about to deliver in a powerful way, and you don't even know what's coming. And the moment you think it's not coming, that's when it's probably going to be coming. 
So I love this church. I'm glad to be here. And one more thing. Um, it's New Year's, and you guys are batting 100 already. You've been to every 2019 service so far. So the problem is if you miss next week, then you're 50, and that's not where you want to be. So um, next week you'll be 100% again, and, man, great things are going to be happening this year. You are teed up for an amazing year, and you just don't want to miss it at all. Um, we're going to just dive in, and we're going to go for it. Are you good? Get out your notes. Get your head in the game. We're going to start rolling. And this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with Jesus, which is always a great place to start. And Jesus and his disciples somehow had been invited to a wedding. And I have a feeling that Jesus um, knew the person that was getting married because his mom was there too, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever pictured Jesus at a wedding. Like, I don't know if the DJ got going and Jesus is out there doing the YMCA. Or I'd love to see Jesus doing the funky chicken, right? I would love that. I, I can picture my Savior doing the funky chicken. Totally could do that. But he and his disciples are at this wedding. And it's day three of the wedding. Now, in our culture, after about an hour and a half at the reception, we're checking our watches, waiting for them to cut the cake, right? Yeah, we're like, hurry up and cut the cake. I got to go. But this is day three of the wedding. These are several-day weddings. And there was a problem. Now, check this out. Um, I'm going to put the scripture up on the screen so we can actually read it from the word of God because I want you to see this. Here's what it says. John chapter 2 says this. On the third day, a wedding took place in Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had already also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, I don't know about Mary. I don't know if she was the type of person who just liked to announce things, right? They just kissed the bride. The music is starting. We're cutting the cake. Maybe she was the DJ. Who knows? But she comes to Jesus and makes this announcement. They have no more wine. Now, this phrase is fascinating to me. This phrase right here. Go to the next slide. They have no more wine. Because buried in this phrase is an amazing Greek word, which you know well, and I know well. We know, what, we know it by experience. You may not know the Greek word. I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to say it together. Here we go. This is the Greek word. Um, now, properly pronounced, go to the next slide. Properly pronounced, it's hustereao, with accent on the end. Hustereao, or eo, hustereo. Now, I'm from Texas, and I grew up when stereo was a big thing, and I just can't get away from seeing the word stereo in there. Almost like, hey, stereo, but it's like, who's stereo? That's, that's how I see it. So we're in Texas. That's how we're going to say it today, right? So let me hear you say it. Who's stereo? stereo. Say it a little bit louder like you mean it. Who's stereo? stereo. Oh, that was beautiful. That was like a choir. <laughs> so let me just tell you, this is an amazing word. Here's how I see this word. Um, This is one place that this word is described. I'm going to start throwing stuff. Your OCD is going to go nuts. (laughs) If if things start getting messy, don't look at me. Go start looking at him. He's going to start twitching. (laughs) This is going to be a fun service. I'm just going to watch you the whole service. 
um, this is one place that this word, you find yourself with this word if, if you're um, looking through Greek. What you'll discover is this word is used, like picture a farmer, right? And let's say he's going to market. And he said he's promised to bring so much grain. Maybe there's been an agreement already. He said to the guy at the market, we'll bring this much grain. And in exchange for that much grain, you'll give us two goats or whatever. And he really needs the goats. So the farmer then goes, says to his son, Jethro, Obadiah, you know, like, like you do if you're a Jewish farmer. Grab the grain. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to take the grain to the market. So they put the grain on the donkey. I am the donkey in this scenario. They put the grain on the donkey, and they take it to market, right? Now, when they take it to market, this is how we're doing it here. There was probably a system of weight and measures, like in Monty Python, where they weigh the chicken like that. Not so here. We've got a glass tube with a red line on it, like Double Dare back in the 80s. Remember that? Yeah? Man, you were slow to the dance on this one, weren't you? I said it, and it was like four-second delay. So there's this moment when the farmer comes, and he's going to measure the grain, and this is what he's promised, right? And so he dumps it into the measure. You're twitching? Here. And he dumps it into the measure, and he notices that what he has in reality is different than what was expected, right? It's actually the same word that Mary uses when she talks about the wine. She goes to Jesus. She makes an announcement, hysteria. We've run out of wine, literally, There's not enough. There's a gap between what we expected and what we need and what we have. There is a deficit, right? And Mary announces it to Jesus. And here the farmer comes and he's promised this amount. This is what he delivers. And he notices there's a deficit. I don't know if there's a connection between the word hysterio and hysterical. But I'm wondering if the farmer at that point goes a little hysterical right? He starts feeling it in the gut. I bet Mary was hysterical. Um, She seemed to be highly codependent, wanting to fix the problem, and she's going hysterical to Jesus, fix the problem, right? I don't know. But I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this gap in your life. Here's another place it's used. Um, when you look at Greek, uh, literature, um, Imagine that you're running a race. Imagine you're on the track team, okay? And uh, you know that you're supposed to be running the 800 meter. And you're walking out. You know your race is coming up. You look, and you notice that everybody's at the starting line. You just got your shoes on. And then you hear the gun go off. And you see everybody that you're supposed to be racing against takes off, right? And then you panic. You go a little hysterical. You go to the starting line, and then you begin your race, and you spend the entire race just trying to catch up. That happened to me once. 
Um, aw, you're so compassionate. Um, a buddy of mine who uh, runs 5Ks, who trains to win 5Ks, you know that guy. He says to me, he says, I'm running a 5K, you want to come? I was like, sure, I'll come. I mean, I look like a runner. So I go to this 5K, and he's standing at the starting line, and there's like 5,000 people in this race, and I'm just hanging out talking. I have not trained, and the gun goes off. Have you ever seen video of the running of the bulls? That's where I was. So for the first 10 minutes of this run, I am running as fast as I can, and then I just want to breathe. And so my goal is just to finish. The, I spend the entire race just feeling like I'm trying to catch up, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, where you feel like everybody's ahead of you. You feel like you're spending your entire life just trying to catch up. Now, I know that you may not completely register with how farmers do it. So let's just get a little bit more practical. Let's imagine, let's imagine, that was for you. You just, All right. Here's what I know God loves a mess because he deals with me. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Let's imagine that we were to take your life. Now, my guess is since it's the new year, you've done this. Now, um, I want to ask, has anybody made a new year's resolution? There's one, there's two. Oh, wow. Three, four, five. You guys are record. So I would say what? 3% of the crowd. (laughs) The rest of you are smart. (laughs) Well, the rest of you actually have probably been there and done that, right? You've you've worn the t-shirt. It's it's there was a year that you said I'm gonna lose weight and you didn't lose weight, and three three weeks in you were eating the Twinkies and the Ho-Hos and whatever you could find. And it was just done and it was over. And so you've learned that you don't want to do that. So right about now though. There's this evaluation of life. Now, let's say we were to take everything that's good about you. Like, everything that we could count is like, man, that's awesome. Let's just say this. Let's say right now your bank account is positive. Good job. Let's say you made it another year, and you got some great gifts for Christmas, and actually you feel like you can dress well now right? We could just keep going. You're a nice person. You graduated. You're employed, right? We could keep going, right? Let's say, what have you even put? You won a trophy in second grade for baseball. Like, let's say we put it all, all, everything in your life, everything positive, everything you possibly were, and we would measure it. And honestly, this is where we want to be. And we were to dump it in and measure it. You might look at that and say, it's not enough, but there's still more. 
like your parents were really nice to you when they gave you a leg up and you, you're, you don't have as much debt as other people do. Congratulations. But if we were to pour it all in and we were to measure it, there's this possibility that you might, as you look at it, start to feel a little hysterical, right? Because when you look at that, there are some who look at all of this stuff. But if you're like most of us, you don't focus on the positive stuff in your life. You focus on what's missing. Welcome to America. This is why people are able to sell you stuff that you don't even need. Because of that space right there. And so here's what happens. Happy New Year. You start making resolutions and you say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read my Bible every day for the rest of the year. And let's say you do it. Okay, I'm getting that 20 pounds, that 30 pounds, that 40 pounds. Okay, I want to gain five pounds. That person you can just leave. We don't like you. Jesus loves you, but you make me mad. Let's say you hit that mark, right? Honestly, this is what happens. You feel great about it because your genes fit, but somehow you still see what's missing. It doesn't matter where you go, how much you make. If you read interviews and you hear interviews of the richest people in the world, they'll talk about this. This space where you think they would have it all. But they talk about hysteria. They talk about what's missing. And you still don't know what we do when, when we start noticing that? We try to manage it, don't we? We try to manage it sometimes by filling it. Man, we can work hard just trying to make ourselves better. And you know what happens? It's this endless cycle. We don't feel like we look good, so we buy more clothes. We feel like we're getting older, so we spend more money. And then we've got this other hole. Now we're broke. So we have to save money, so we stop doing that. And now we look like trash, so we're going to spend more money. It's like this endless cycle. And you try to manage it. That space is always going to be there. It's the condition of humanity. You will never, ever fill this space because that's not your space to fill. Now, let me just tell you something. You can manage it by trying to fill it yourself. Sometimes you can manage it by trying to cover it up, right? I've seen people try to cover up the deficit by being funny. I've seen people try to cover up the deficit by talking a lot or being super, super smart. Or being the life of the party. I've even seen people try to cover up their deficit by dressing really, really well. Remember that scene in Tommy Boy where he says, does this coat make me look fat? And the guy says, no, your fat makes you look fat. Right? You try to cover it up. Right? That's not ever going to be good. So you try to manage it. You know what else this does? This space messes with you. It will rob you of joy. It will rob you of victory. It will rob you of what God is calling you to be and wants you to be. That space will. You know what else? You don't only try to manage it, but that space can cause you to miss miracles. Miracles will still happen around you, but you may miss them. You may not even see it happening. You know what I'm saying? 
Here, let me give you an example. This is in Scripture. This word is used of a guy who I'm guessing probably missed a miracle. This is guy. If you looked at this part of his life, he's got it all going for him. He's rich. He's young. And he's in charge. He's the boss of a lot of things. He's a ruler. And he goes up to Jesus, and he feels like he has it all together. And he says, hey, listen, Jesus, i got this question for you. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Which is an amazing question. It's a whacked out question because in order to inherit something, you have to be something, not do something, right? But he's asking, what he, how, how can I earn inheritance? And, and Jesus plays along with his game, and he says, well, you should follow the commands. And the guy looks at him and says, man, I got it. Look at this. Ha, rich, young, ruler, and I follow the commands. been doing it since I was a kid. And then Jesus looks at him. Look at this next verse. Jesus looks at him, and I love how this says that Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. It wasn't a look of Jesus with shame and condemnation. It was a look of sorrow and love, and Jesus looks at him, and then he says this. There's still one thing you lack, and when Jesus describes the lack, do you know what he's describing? He's using this word, hysteria. The rich young ruler did not see the space. The rich young ruler did not see the deficit or his need, but Jesus did. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Give, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And you know what Scripture says he did? He went away weeping. Like he didn't do it. I wonder what kind of miracle would have happened if he had done it. I wonder how God would have just interceded. I wonder what God would have done and how it would surprise him if he went away and sold everything and came and followed Jesus. I wonder if God would have filled the bucket back up so he could do it again. But we'll never know. Because he didn't see the deficit. I was sitting at um, my kitchen table. We just invited somebody over to our house who really wasn't a Christian and I'd been meeting with him for lunch for a while, and he sat down at the table, and he said, there's something i got to tell you. And it seemed really serious because he had sent the kids away. I was like, what? He says, I need to say this. I'm addicted to alcohol and cocaine, and I need to turn my life around. You know what happened in that moment? He saw the need. He was about to see a miracle, and then his life turned around. You know what else? Space. You're about to have a lot of space. You know what's super cool about that? That's God's space to fill. And he's going to fill those seats, and he's going to fill that space, right? Let me just tell you something. Don't quit before a miracle. And I'm telling you, if you can't see the space or the deficit, you can't see the miracle. Let me just tell you something. If you want to see where the miracles are in your life, you know where you look? Look all around. Look right in there. The space of need, the space of want, the space of deficit. And that, my friends, is where you'll see God working powerfully. I have seen bank accounts filled that were in deficit. I have seen lives changed that were in deficit. I have seen marriages just transformed that we're in deficit. Let me just tell you something. The place that God works and that you'll see him is the place of, a, of deficit. And if you can't see deficit, 
then you can't see where God's working. So the good news is, if all you see is deficit, then there's a chance that all you're going to see is God working. Right? So you start looking for it. So here's the thing. This messes with you. It will, it will cause you to manage it. It will cause you to miss miracles. But you know what else it will cause you to do? It will cause you to live in a place of scarcity. Look at this verse right here. This is Paul writing. If there's anybody who's figured this stuff out, it's Paul. Paul says this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to live, I learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is, and he uses this word, to live in this space. He's like, I know what it is to live in the space where all I can see is my deficit. And I've learned to live in the space where I have plenty. Go to the next verse. I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Let me just tell you something. When you look at your life and all you see is not enough, you will live in a place of scarcity. When you look at your bank account and you say there's not enough, you will not be generous. When you look at your calendar and you look at the time and you say there's not enough, you will not volunteer. When you look at your life and you feel like you're stressed out, panicked up, and there's not enough of you, you will not put yourself forward. If you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, you will not step in front of people to do what God has called you to do. When you see not enough, it will cause you to live in a place of scarcity. But let me just tell you, my God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He is a God of plenty. He is a God of resources. And if you can give this space to God, he can fill it. If you can trust that he's going to fill it. If you, can, if you can pray for rain and step outside with an umbrella, knowing that God is going to do what God says he's going to do, then all of a sudden you'll start to see miracles. And then you can begin living in a in an attitude of plenty, not in a scarcity mentality. This, this will mess with you. And I don't know, as you looked at your new year, if you're thinking not enough. If you're hearing the voices from the past that you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not advanced enough, you're not fast enough, you're not wealthy enough, you can't pay your bills. I don't know what voices you're hearing, but God is just more than enough. And wherever you are on this line, he is able to fill the deficit. This this space will cause you to manage it. It'll cause you to miss miracles. It will cause you to live in a space of scarcity. But you know what else this does? This causes you to feel alone. It's almost as if you look at the entire world and you feel like this this is just you. No one's got it like you do. Can I give you a scripture that should encourage you? Look at this next slide. Say those first two words with me together. One, two, three, for all. Say it again. One, two, three. Say the second word. One, two, three. Say it again. All, all, all. That space will make you feel alone, but the truth is all have sinned. This word Jesus again. And are in this place, hysteria, 
Everybody's in this place where they fall short of the glory of God. I was um, a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I planted a church in 2004. And um, we planted, and when we started the church, we started with like 250 people, and we maintained that pretty well. About a year in, we had um, another guy who was thinking about planting or starting a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, called me. His name was Stephen Furtick. And I don't know if you know who Stephen Furtick is, but um, just Google his name. He's like a mega church pastor. Like, if, if pastors can be rock stars, I mean, he's even got the biceps to prove it. <clears throat> so um, he calls me and says, hey, we're thinking about starting a church. We've never seen church in a movie theater. Do you mind when we come check it out? And I'm like, sure. So he comes with his team, and they watch us set up and tear down and watch us do church. At the end of church, everybody's filtering out, and he comes to me and says, dude, can we do lunch? I want to I pick your brain some more. It's like, sure. So we went to lunch, and we started this regular routine of going to lunch. Um, a couple times he said, will you come up um, and help with the training of our team? And I was like, sure, I can do that. So we, we, we developed this planting relationship, kind of, we're in the foxhole together. And there was one day we're eating, <laughs> we're eating lunch at Logan's, which if you have peanut allergies, that's hell, right? <laughs> Just imagine what hell's like. And um, I sit down, and I've gobbled down a few of those yeast rolls, you know what I'm talking about, with the butter. Good Lord, those are amazing. And peanuts, and he's just sitting there sipping his water, and the waitress comes and says, can I take your order? And I said, yeah, I want a chicken sandwich, and I'm going to make it healthy, broccoli. And she looks at Stephen and says, what do you want? He's like, ah, nothing right now. And she walks away. So I'm like, dude, how can you invite me to lunch and not eat? That's just not cool. What's the deal? He says, well, I'm fasting today. I'm like, oh, I'm fasting today, pastor. And so I start digging in a little bit. I say, so tell me, um, how, how, when did you start the fast? How long are you going? He's like, well, he was, he was kind of avoidant of the question. He says, well, it's an extended fast. How long is the fast, Stephen? Tell me. He looks at me and says, well, this is my first day of a 40-day fast for our church. And I was like, whoa, dude, you're going to die. <laughs> and then I said, honestly, that's on my bucket list of things to do before I die. And he says, well... Join me. I'm on day one right now. I'm like, hmm, I might do that. So I go home. My wife's cooking dinner, and I say, hey, my buddy Steven's starting a 40-day fast. You mind if I join him? She's like, sure, that's fine. She had no idea she was signing up for a grumpy husband for the next 40 days. <laughs> Hunger will make you really grumpy. So for the next 40 days, we're, like, texting each other, back away from the milkshake now. Run from the Cinnabon, you know. <laughs> it will kill you. And uh, we both make it for four. He ends it the day before I do and tells me um, a little bit about that experience. Don't, don't have burritos, from what I understand. Don't do that at the end of a 40-day fast. You can figure that out later. And so we end the 40-day fast, and we continue meeting. He plants his church, and it starts, and it blows crazy up. Like every pastor that I know, and some, some are immune to this, I, I wasn't. Um, once their church to grow in influence and grow under their leadership in the community so they can make a huge difference, and I wanted the same. 
but his blew up. Like we're talking in the first year, a thousand. In the second year, 3,000 people. Like crazy. Um, I'm watching his church grow, and mine's kind of staying at around the 250, 300 mark. And, and over the next two or three years, I do about four 40-day fast additional. Trying to figure out what God, why, why him, not me. I'm just seeing what I don't have. Well, a friend sends me a link and says, what's up with the Stephen Furtick dude? I click on the link, and it's an interview between him and a local newscaster. And the local newscaster looks at him and says, everybody wants to know, Stephen. How is your church blown up so quickly? And I'm sitting in my cubicle watching on my little MacBook this video. And he leans back in his chair and looks at the newscaster and says, oh, it's super easy. And I'm like, oh, it is? (laughs) Tell me all about this easy. He says, it's simple. We prayed and we fasted and God blessed us. And I'm sitting there alone in my cubicle thinking, why did God choose you and not me? All I could see was that. Sometimes that space can bury you with shame. Sometimes that space can make it so you, it's even hard to get out of bed. And it wasn't until I had a great friend of mine. It was a long journey, but I had a great friend of mine come to me and say, you know this space? You know what Paul said? Where I'm weak, that's where the strength is. That's where God comes in and does something. And so you just boast in your weakness. You boast in what God has done. Because here's what I know. The minute you can see it, miracles can be spotted. And the minute you can boast in it, it, you're creating space for God to come in and do something great. And you know what God did? God continued to grow our church, but God did something great in me. He made me know this sense of victory, the sense that I don't have to keep trying to earn it or cover it up. Listen, I'm enough, and God has chosen me just the way I am. As a matter of fact, look at this verse in 1 John. Look at it, look at it. It says, This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. That's how you know. And I think somehow along the line, we've got our Santa Claus songs and our Jesus songs all mixed up. Like, you're making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Jesus is coming to town. That's not how it works. Jesus says, this is my space. This is where I'm gonna hang out. This is where miracles are gonna happen. And so you... You claim that space. You say, this is the space that's God's space. And actually, this is the place where miracles happen. And I want you to know that I'm okay living in this place of deficit because God comes in and makes me enough. And if you've walked in this thinking, this year I'm going to fill the deficit. This year I'm going to make everything okay. Listen, that's not your job. Do you hear me? It's not your job to fix everything. It's not your job to make everything okay. That's God's job. Like, there's nobody in this room who's got it all together. There's nobody in this room who feels like everything's okay. That's God's job to fix it all. Don't make him try. Jesus gave his life for that reason. Don't waste that. 
You can live in victory even in a place of deficit because God came in and sent his son in to die for you. What a miracle that is. Let me, um, let me take a second right now because I, I look at faces across the room as I'm standing here and I see faces doing different things and I see a, everybody checked in. So if you were to look at your life right now, if this were your life, and you were to look at it, you've got a lot of choices about what you can do with that. You can manage it. You can cover it up. You can try to fill it. Or you can embrace it. Let God do it.